Welcome to the British History Podcast. My name is Jamie, and this is episode 128, The End of King Oswiu's Hegemony. This show is free and independent due to member support. And as thanks for helping keep the community going, I offer members-only content, such as extra episodes and rough transcripts. If you're interested in supporting the show and helping us out, you can do so over at thebritishhistorypodcast.com. And thank you very much to Charles, Luke, and James for contributing already. Now, as I've said in the outros, all of our social media sites offer something different. And today, I'm going to spotlight Twitter and Facebook. Facebook is the major community we have going right now, with thousands of members. And there you're going to find posts from listeners, as well as daily posts by me on historical facts and updates on when the newest episodes are released. Also, when I poll listener opinions on the direction of the show, it often happens on Facebook. So if you want to have your voice heard, that's a great community to join. Now, Twitter is a bit more personal, but it's also a lot of fun. There, you'll also get the daily updates, but I'm also posting updates on what I'm working on and things that I find interesting. And of course, you can interact with me on both of those communities. All right, this episode covers 664 to 670, and the major characters are King Oswiu, ruler of Northumbria, son of Aethelfrith, an all-around terrifying guy, King Alfrith of Deira, that was Oswiu's son and one of his probable rivals, Wilfred, abbot of Ripon, guy who argued for Rome at Whitby, and all-around ambitious dude. And King Wolf Hera, ruler of Mercia and son of Penda. When we last left off, it was still 664, and we just saw the end of the Synod of Whitby. And despite King Oswiu's ties and his loyalties to Iona, in the end, Canterbury won out. Quite possibly due to the support of Oswiu's son, King Alfrith of Deira. And we can surmise that King Oswiu didn't appreciate that, because that was the last time we heard of Alfrith. He just vanishes from the record, as Oswiu's family members are wont to do. Now, Bede tells us that Alfrith sought Oswiu's permission to visit Rome, but the dating is spotty, so it's tough to pin down exactly when that happened. And then we have this other thing in the Historia, and it speaks about Alfrith leading a rebellion against his father. So what's the deal there? Well, there's a theory that Oswiu might have gone to war over matters regarding who was the Bishop of York. And what's that old rule? Never discuss religion or politics at the dinner table? I'm guessing it was pretty hard to do in Oswiu's family. So, here's the theory. So after the Synod of Whitby, which was somewhat forced by Alfrith and resulted in Oswiu having to turn his back on his own religion, Alfrith was allowed to install Wilfred as the Bishop of York. Do you remember Wilfred? He was the guy who argued in favor of Rome. Meanwhile, Oswiu installed Tuda as the bishop of Lindisfarne. But 664 was a rough year, and so we're told that Tuda died of the plague. So no bishop of Lindisfarne. Meanwhile, apparently Wilfred was a bit fancy, so he wanted to be invested in Gaul rather than in Britain. So he went abroad. All right, I'm being a little bit flippant there. Wilfred's concern was that there weren't any bishops that had been properly consecrated due to the region's deep ties with Iona until recently. And so to be made a bishop under the Roman Catholic system, he wanted to do it properly and went to the nearest consecrated Catholic bishops, who happened to be in Gaul. And while he was away, Oswiu unilaterally appointed Chad as the bishop of both Lindisfarne and York. 
so over both Deira and Bernicia. And he placed Chad C in York itself. That's significant because it implies that Deira and Bernicia were being unified, at least religiously. And that seems to have been Oswiu's goal for quite some time. And some people argue that this led to Bede's story of Oswiu refusing to allow Alfred to go to Rome, presumably to stop him from tattling. And then, in response to that, Alfrith rebelled against his father, and he lost. So that's the theory. But the trouble with the theory is that it relies upon unreliable sources, like the Historia. And the more reliable sources don't have any mention of Alfrith's rebellion. And the dating regarding the refused trip to Rome is spotty, to say the least. So while it is very interesting, and it does create some drama in the story... All we can really say is that at some point, Oswiu ruled over both kingdoms, and that the last firm date where we can be sure that King Alfrith was alive and ruling over Deira was 664. After that, at some point, he vanished and quite possibly died. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was at his father's hand. I mean, come on. This is Oswiu we're talking about. Now, Alcuin would later cast Oswiu in glowing terms, almost like a saint. But he never knew him, and he was writing over a century after Oswiu's death. And from the Northern King's actions, I'm not sure how saintly he was. You know, let's put this guy into context. Our last badass was Penda, and his tally was pretty impressive. Even if we ignore the kings he forced into exile, we're still left with the unmistakable mark that Penda placed upon the political landscape of Britain. I mean, during his tenure, he killed five kings, one prince, and countless warriors. And now we have Oswiu. And for those of you keeping score, as of this episode, Oswiu has been directly responsible for, or at least implicated in, the deaths of four kings. Of whom, we have a cousin, a nephew, a son-in-law, and of course, with the death of Penda, you have another in-law that he's killed. Because, you know, their families were tied together by multiple marriages. And now, Oswiu was probably responsible for the death of his own son, Alfrith. Bringing us to, just like Penda, five dead kings. But in this case, they were all in some way related to him. Oswiu practiced the worst kind of nepotism. And you thought Christmas with your family was tense. Anyway, so King Oswiu was being the best King Oswiu he knew how to be. And I'm guessing that most of his family were keeping their heads down, especially on Easter. And fun fact, my co-producer has been lobbying for an Easter special for quite a while, and I've consistently given the same answer. I don't know if I can fit all that murder and bloodshed into a single episode. Oh, Easter. But the point is that Oswiu was scary. And actually, until Wolf Hera and the Mercian nobility rebelled and asserted their independence you could easily argue that Oswiu held complete control over the East. It isn't like anyone had the power to challenge him. But, as we already know, Mercia did eventually rebel. And for the six years leading up to the Synod of Whitby, they had been irritatingly independent and ruled by Penda's son, Wolf Hera. Now, as we discussed, 664 was the year that a great plague was sweeping through Britain. And taking ourselves out of the interdynastic feuds for a moment, imagine what that might have been like for the recently converted communities in the East, who had just left Iona and joined Canterbury. 
depending on when exactly a plague struck a community and who it killed, it could give wildly different impressions. Don't forget that disasters like this weren't due to sanitation, disease vectors, or, you know, science. No, things like this were signs from beyond the veil. And the arrival of the plague could easily be a sign of an angry god, or the weakness of a favored god, or the response of a spurned god. There are all sorts of ways this could be interpreted. And it probably wasn't being helped by the fact that Bishop Ked, who was present as an interpreter for the synod, and Archbishop Deus did it, had both died. And here's how bad the religious situation was. In Essex, old King Swithhelm died, and he was succeeded by his two sons, Sabi and Sigehera. And I guess that's not too big of a deal until you realize that soon thereafter, King Sigehera and all of his people recanted their Christianity. It's possible that this had nothing to do with the plague, but the timing is pretty striking. And get this, it wasn't King Oswiu who sent a bishop to reconvert these Saxons, despite his prominence in those circles, but rather it was King Wolf Hera who sent Jeremon, the Bishop of Lichfield. And it looks like he was successful. And it wasn't just in religious matters that Oswiu was losing ground. Bede also tells us that Sabi and Sigehera served under King Wolf Hera of Mercia. They were sub-kings. So not only did King Oswiu now lack the influence to maintain his ties with Iona, and he had to bend to Canterbury, and not only was he unable to successfully hold Mercia, but now rival kingdoms were starting to come under Mercian control. The waning power of Oswiu could not have been missed nor could the rising power of King Wolf Hera. And that must have been a huge point of anxiety for the northern king, since the Mercians were one of the most common causes of death amongst Northumbrian nobility. Now, one of the other common causes was, of course, King Oswiu. But since Oswiu wasn't likely to kill himself, chances are he was just worried about the Mercians. And despite the repeated attempts to heal the breach through marriage, which probably made for rather uncomfortable beds when the kingdoms would go to war, things were tense, and the feud between the two kingdoms persisted. And now, Mercia was becoming distressingly powerful. Moreover, King Ericumbert of Kent had died, and Egbert I had become the king of Kent. And then soon thereafter, his two cousins were murdered, probably his command, because that's kind of how these early kings did it. And this transfer of power would certainly have further destabilized things a bit. And on top of that, Kent was starting to exercise power in the nearby kingdom of the South Saxons. They were building a monastery there. So now we have two kingdoms that Oswiu was not able to dominate. And both of them were flexing their muscles in exercising power over their neighbors. Oswiu's rivals were multiplying. Meanwhile, Surrey, which wasn't an independent kingdom, but was still a territory that kingdoms fought over from time to time, well, at this point, it had been outside of the grasp of Oswiu. Not only that, but it was brought under the dominion of, you guessed it, Mercia. And its sub-king, Frithuwald, married Wolf Hera's sister, and it's possible that he was even placed upon that throne by Wolf Hera himself. So, it looks like Surrey was deep in the pocket of Mercia. And as for the kingdom of Lindsay, the same kingdom that so much Northumbrian blood had been shed over, well, that was far from a safe bet for Oswiu as well. 
The records aren't completely clear from this period, and I know you're shocked by that, but it looks like Lindsay was subject to both the royal authority of Mercia, as demonstrated by Wolf Hera gifting some lands within Lindsay to a monastery at Barrow-upon-Humber, and also the religious authority of Mercia, through the interventions of the Bishopric of Lichfield. And some scholars argue that this control goes all the way back to Bishops Trumhera and Jeremon. And when it rains, it pours. East Anglia had a long and complex relationship with Northumbria, but there were ties between the kingdoms dating back to Edwin. Sure, there had been times where the kingdom had drifted away and sided more closely with its neighbors. But overall, it was a kingdom that Northumbrian rulers could rely upon. Another casualty of the plague of 664 was King Aethelwald of East Anglia. And so King Aeldwulf took the throne. This might have been somewhat of a blow for King Oswiu. And at the very least, it was destabilizing and worrying for the Bernician king. And the reason for this is that Aeldwulf was related to the line of Edwin. He was the child of Harriswith. And Harriswith was the daughter of Hereric. You know, the nephew of Edwin who was poisoned while King Aethelfrith was trying to purge the Deiran dynasty. Alright, that was actually confusing to say, so I'm guessing it was even worse to hear. And I'm putting together family trees in order to avoid confusions like this, but for right now, let's simplify this a little bit. So King Aethelfrith tried to wipe out Edwin and his entire line, right? Well, Oswiu was Aethelfrith's son, and the new king of East Anglia was one of Edwin's relatives. So depending on how much Aeldwulf held on to family grudges, it might mean that any potential alliance between Northumbria and East Anglia would be in jeopardy. And given that Oswiu was like Aethelfrith on steroids, and he seemed most likely to kill people within his own circle, my guess is that Aeldwulf wasn't eager to side with him. So what about Wessex, I can hear you asking? Were there any friends to be found there? Surely the West Saxons would be on Team Oswiu, considering their strained relationship with the Mercians. And good point, hypothetical listener. Penda had smacked them around quite a bit, and they were probably still a bit grouchy about that. And it had only been a handful of years since Wolf Hera harried the West Saxon town of Ashdown. And it didn't stop there. He muscled in on the West Saxon borders and installed King Aethelwale and his Mercian queen, Aepha, on the throne of the South Saxons. And then Wolf Hera had Aethelwale baptized. So the new king of Sussex was both Wolf Hera's sub-king as well as his godson. And then Wolf Hera moved on and conquered the pagan Isle of Wight. And he gave that territory to King Aethelwale as well. So not only was Mercia getting directly into fights with the West Saxons, but they were forming allies and even installing friendly kings all along their borders. And based upon how the West Saxons started to reorganize, and the few records that we have of Mercian movements, it looks like Mercia started to move ever deeper into the lands of Wessex. And given the natural boundaries involved, not to mention the significant military advantage that Wolf Hera had, things certainly seemed to be moving in a direction that would have made the West Saxons quite nervous. It was getting so bad that they split their bishopric and created a new see in Winchester, which was deeper into their own territory. And by around this point in time, they had abandoned their original West Saxon bishopric, the see of Dorchester. Probably because it was now too close to the Mercians. So surely this would be a potential ally for Oswiu. But even if they wanted to ally... It doesn't look like they did. And given how aggressively Wolf Hera's posture was on the borders of Wessex, 
That was probably the wisest choice. If there is any discussion regarding who to support, I can imagine Wolf Hera saying to the West Saxons, you know, you could side with Oswiu, but we wouldn't be very pleased about that. And while I'm sure he'd come to protect you, he is pretty far away. And we're right here. Do you think you could survive long enough to get rescued? The strain placed upon the kingdom was so intense that cracks were forming within their political structure. The entire kingdom looked like it was on the verge of breaking. So yeah, despite having more motivation to fight against the Mercians than most, Wessex wasn't a safe bet. They were barely holding on. One of the few places that it does seem like Oswiu could turn to for support was Pictland, where it seems like their king, Drest, might have been subject to Northumbria, or at the very least, he was religiously subject, since it seems like their kingdom was also under the same bishopric as Northumbria. So yeah, things were looking bad for Oswiu, but you can't say it wasn't deserved. People don't like bullies, and Oswiu was quite the bully. Meanwhile, here's how powerful Wolf Harrow was becoming. Sometime in the next few years, he'll end up selling the Sea of London. And London wasn't even Mercian territory at this point. It was part of Essex. But that didn't stop CFO Wolf Hera from making a good sale. And with that in mind, I suppose Boris Johnson isn't all that bad. And get this, he sold the religious seat to a man of the cloth who was actually expelled from Wessex. So the buyer didn't even have the best of track records. Though, in his defense, the expulsion doesn't seem to have been all that just, since it looks like he was turfed out merely because he ordained a couple Welshmen. Not cool, Wessex. But yeah, this whole situation is kind of amazing, and here's what you should take away from it. Not only was Wolf Harris stretching his umbrella over Essex, but he was also moving in to control a major trade center. So his power was waxing significantly. Also, this sale lets us know that the early English church had apparently totally forgotten that whole thing about how Jesus hulked out over just having a market at the temple. Anyway, this isn't to say that Oswiu was without any power whatsoever. His control over the south was certainly collapsing, but he was still strong in the north and a force to be reckoned with. And his backing of Rome in the Synod of Whitby definitely helped him out a great deal. As we talked about, Kent's growing strength was no doubt a worry for Oswiu, but he seems to have been handling it rather well, since he was able to use his new ties with Rome to find a common ground with his potential ally. For example, in a letter from Pope Vitalian dated 667, we hear that King Oswiu and King Egbert of Kent had worked together to suggest a new Archbishop of Canterbury, after Wighard, who was one of Oswiu's companions, had died. So the Pope sent him a letter, along with some relics. But my guess is that the thing that Oswiu really cared about was what the Pope said in the letter. He called him the King of the Saxons, and said that he hoped that he would extend his rule all throughout Britain. Oswiu now had a mandate from God to expand his power base. Awesome. But that being said, he was still in dire straits. Most of the kingdoms were either independent or under Mercia's thumb. Even Kent, where the Roman influence in Britain was at its strongest, was still independent despite what the Pope said. And not everything was great between Rome and Oswiu, because we're told that in 668 to 669, Theodore of Tarsus, the Archbishop of Canterbury, took the long trip up to York to deal with Oswiu as well as the See of York. The issue was that Bishop Chad, 
Do you remember Bishop Chad? He was the guy who was installed as the Bishop of York when Wilfrid was out in Gaul. Well, the issue was that Oswiu had Chad consecrated by the Bishop of Wessex, as well as two unorthodox British bishops. And that simply would not do, since it was counter to Roman policies. So Tarsus went up to York, turfed Chad out of office, and installed Wilfrid as the bishop. If you're Oswiu, that must have been quite a blow. But if you're Wilfrid, that was probably a great day. It took years, but he finally got the seat that was promised to him. Now you might be wondering why it took so long. Four to five years is a long time. Well, first off, Wilfred was briefly delayed due to a shipwreck and subsequent fight to the death with a bunch of pagans on the Sussex coast. Seriously. And second, if Alfred had installed him, and then was either killed, deposed, or just disappeared because of Oswiu, marching in and directly challenging Oswiu was probably not the wisest of choices. And he might have wanted to play it safe and stay at his abbey in Ripon, or maybe even in Mercia, until he could get enough support to put him back in power. That's probably what I would end up doing, actually. But honestly, what's most shocking about this whole situation isn't the shipwreck, though the shipwreck is awesome, but it's that Oswiu just accepted Wilfred. He was so often an uncompromising and terrifying king. But then, at other times, he just seems to have acquiesced without much of a fight. The Mercian Revolt and the Synod of Whitby both seem out of character for this king. And here was another example. I wish we knew more about him, and also about these events, because there seems to have been much more going on here than we can see on the surface. And get this, not only did he accept Wilfred as the bishop, but he offered to escort the new bishop to Rome. He wouldn't just let him take over, but he'd go on a road trip with him. That's a pretty big commitment. But unfortunately, Oswiu was very sick, and he was 58 years old, and living in the 7th century. Not the best recipe for longevity. And what I want to tell you is that he recovered. And that before he could go to Rome, Wolf Hera and his southern supporters marched upon Oswiu and they got their revenge in an epic battle. Or maybe someone within Oswiu's family put a knife in his back. I mean, that would be kind of poetic, wouldn't it? I'd like to tell you something cool. Anything. But no. We're told that on February 15th, 670, Oswiu succumbed to illness and died, and then he was buried at St. Peter's Church at Whitby, which ironically contained a great deal of the De'Eran royal family, including King Edwin of Northumbria. And I wonder what he would have thought about sharing a mausoleum with one of Aethelfrith's sons. And with that odd moment of unity between these two bitter rival dynasties, Oswiu's reign ended, not with a bang, but with a cough. I feel like we were robbed. All right, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns, you can reach me at thebritishhistorypodcast at gmail.com, and we have all kinds of social communities you can join, and you should join them all. They're pretty cool. And you can find all of them at thebritishhistorypodcast.com. All right, thanks for listening. Oh, we forgot the Wilhelm scream. There we go. See you later, Oswiu.